Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. Hello and welcome to Knocked Up, the podcast about fertility and women's health. You are joined as always by me, Geordie Morrison, and Dr. Rayleigh Alou, CREI Fertility Specialist. Today, we're taking a deep dive into AMH, aka the fertility blood test. Rayleigh, AMH, we're hearing a little bit about it at the moment. What is it? What does it stand for? Let's start there. So yeah, look, AMH is a test that is part of a fertility workup. And it is touted in the media specifically as a fertility test of egg count or an egg timer test. It isn't really that. Uh, And AMH is a hormone and it's a hormone that is called anti-malarian hormone after the person who discovered the anatomical structures called the malarian ducts, whose name was Muller. And he was an anatomist and embryologist in Germany a couple of hundred years ago. <laughs> That's why it's called anti-malarian hormone, because in the male, as a fetus, it's a hormone that is secreted to prevent the male growing a uterus and fallopian tubes. So in the ovary, and this is actually quite common in the human body, that certain molecules do a job in one place and then do a different job in another place. In the ovary, the hormone, anti-malarian hormone, has been part of a very complicated kind of pattern of hormone release that helps us to conserve our ovarian reserve and helps us to prevent ovulating all our eggs in one go early in our lifetime. As women, we make all the eggs that we're ever going to have for our whole entire life by the time your mother is 12 weeks pregnant with you. So when your mum has an ultrasound and sees you on her scan as a baby in her uterus, you've already got the eggs there that are going to make her grandchildren. Such an amazing fact. It is an amazing fact. And what helps us release those eggs very slowly over our reproductive lifetime, releasing one mature egg every month, but often... That's more complicated because there's lots of eggs that are recruited every month to compete with that one to become the chosen one, the mature egg that's going to ovulate. You know, to control that march of follicles out of the ovary, we have a hormonal cascade and one of the hormones in that cascade is AMH. So how did AMH get to be involved as a fertility test? Well, look, some some clever observations really. So We've learned that AMH is a hormone that's made by a certain follicles in the ovary, little cells in the ovary, and that its main job actually is to prevent eggs from ripening and maturing. So why do we use it to test fertility and what has it got to do with IVF and egg freezing? Look, there were some clever people who noticed a relationship between the AMH level in the blood 
And how many eggs could be retrieved in an egg collection cycle for someone having IVF? What that was kind of born from was the fact that it's made by one type of what we call follicle, which is a a resting follicle, a a primary follicle in the ovary. Each of our egg cells uh, has a little kind of nest of follicle. A follicle is, is the little nest of cells that the egg sits in. And so there are eggs in our ovary. If you took a slice or a human ovary, there are eggs at every stage of development there. There are some that are just asleep and resting. There are some that are starting what is a 100-day march towards maturity. And there are some um, usually that are competing at the beginning of a menstrual cycle. And around ovulation, there's one that has become mature. So all of those follicles at all of those stages are ripening every day in the ovary. Um, And in the middle of a cycle, we get the winner of the race becoming the one that's going to ovulate. AMH is made by the little guys who are sleeping. It's not made by the ones that are going to ovulate or even that are competing to ovulate, which are involved in an IVF cycle. But it is kind of a true fact that the number of cells of one type, of follicles of one type you have, is relative to the number of follicles of another type you have. So if you've got a really big, juicy, bouncy ovary with lots of eggs, you're going to have a higher level of AMH in your bloodstream because you're going to have a higher number of eggs overall and that means you're going to have a higher number of eggs at every stage of development, which means you're going to have a higher number of primary follicles which are making AMH. If you have an ovary that is more petite, that is small, smaller than average, then you won't have as many eggs in that ovary overall and therefore you'll have fewer primary follicles and therefore your blood level of AMH will be less. So it's, I guess, it's a long long answer, but it's a way of telling me about your ovary and telling me how big it is and therefore how many follicles you might have in your ovary. And therefore, as an egg whisperer in IVF or egg freezing, it can tell me a little bit about what I should be doing to get the best out of your ovary And then it can also tell me a little bit of information that will influence how I counsel you because there's no way that a woman with a low AMH number, despite her greatest hopes, is going to get a huge number of eggs at an egg collection. There's no treatment that will make that happen because you can't stimulate a follicle that isn't there and you can't collect an egg she doesn't have. It's a really important tool in realistic counselling especially with something like egg freezing in terms of helping a woman understand how many rounds of treatment she might need to get a certain number of eggs that might be her goal. So it's a very useful piece of information, but... In the right hands. Well, you can't call it a fertility test in terms of whether someone is naturally fertile or not. It gives us absolutely zero information about that. It tells us about the volume of someone's ovary. But not the quality. Not the egg quality and really nothing at all about fertility, which is much more complicated than just the egg. One of the things about the AMH, and I I say this as I I guess I've had that test, is before the AMH test, every blood test I'd ever had was completely free. But the AMH costs, I'm going to say about $80. There's no Medicare for the AMH test. Why is that? I guess it's a little bit of a misconception to think that blood tests are ever free. 
It's just that the government pays for it and so it's not out of pocket to the patient That's if true. it's Medicare funded. So every blood test costs about that actually. Every time you have a blood test, it's really important, I guess, as a society to realise that we're very lucky in Australia and that our government and our past governments have chosen to really robustly support healthcare. But every blood test, every medication costs our government a great deal of money. And the AMH tests so far as a fertility investigation has been considered by our government to be a luxury and therefore they have not decided to fund that test. So if a woman wants to know her AMH test, there is an out-of-pocket for that because there is no Medicare funding for it, unlike other tests. When I went to get my tests, the GP said, okay, but who are you going to talk to about the results? I now know that was really important. Yeah, and, and for the same reasons that I was kind of alluding to before, that it's, it's not a test of how easy it will be for you to get pregnant. It's not a test of whether you should freeze your eggs or not. It's not a test of how quickly you should see a fertility specialist if you're not getting pregnant. As a standalone test, it's just data about your ovary. By itself, it means nothing. It is neither alarming nor reassuring. It is just a piece of data, a, a piece in the puzzle of talking to you about fertility. Lovers Products, Advanced Intimate Moisturiser. Formulated for you. Medical knowledge meets female know-how. Find your ultimate satisfaction, safe for conception, at loversproducts.com.au. So when the results come back, there's a chart and you'll fall somewhere on the chart. What does it mean if you're high or low? When we're born, we have all the eggs we're ever going to have. And at menopause, we have very few eggs left. And in between, we go down our trajectory or our centile in terms of how many eggs we lose every month, getting where we're going in our reproductive life. On the chart that you're talking about, it compares the number that you get for your AMH. So it's not an egg count per se. It's a, it's a hormone, as we mentioned, measured in pegamoles per litre. But it measures what your level is compared to what everybody in the community's level is at the same age. Is that Australian or global? Uh, it's global. And it's been graphed. For example, just like any other biological parameter, any other characteristic, there's an average, which is the mean, and there's heaps of spread around the mean. So, you know, think of it like your height, your average height of the average Australian woman can be calculated. You can have a woman walk in off the street and be a height other than average and that be fine mm. and that be normal and it doesn't necessarily mean anything bad. Think of the ovary and the AMH just like that. Some people have bigger ovaries, some people have medium-sized ovaries, some people have smaller ovaries. You could say the same for earlobes or toes or bra anything bra else. Sizes. I've used the analogy of bra size many times <laughs> because people understand that you can be an A cup or a double D and that that's just variation in the population. So same with ovaries. So you can have someone who has a small ovary who's very fertile. Uh, and I guess, you know, also important to, you know, just point out the obvious that 
women are not the only part of that equation, that, you know, fertility, natural fertility in a heterosexual context is within a couple. You can have the most fertile woman in the world and if there's a serious sperm problem, she won't get pregnant. Or if she has blocked fallopian tubes, she won't get pregnant. Uh, in terms of having a high AMH, a middle ground AMH or a low AMH, that will not affect how many eggs you release in a month when you're trying and it won't affect your chance of pregnancy, which is officially called fecundity, per month. Look, I think AMH is oversold as a test of fertility per se and it's more interesting as a test used for fertility planning. I don't think anybody should go out and get an AMH and be kind of alarmed and, and upset by that number, thinking that it's going to be a barrier to their fertility if it comes back as low. That's not necessarily the case. It might be really useful information in terms of planning a family into the future with nuanced counselling from a fertility specialist. So if the number is low, what does that mean? If it's really, 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 really low, it could mean that you have a genetic condition that predisposes to premature menopause. But most of the referrals of patients that I have where they've been alarmed by a low AMH, it hasn't been at that level of premature ovarian insufficiency. It's been just below the 50th centile or sometimes below the 10th centile. It's only really important in the context of delaying children, delaying family, because it does affect your IVF prognosis, your chance of getting pregnant in an IVF cycle if you have a low egg count. I guess one of the strengths of IVF is that the more eggs we have when someone has a problem and we're trying to overcome it, the more eggs we have, the more opportunities we have to make embryos the more embryos we might create, the better the chance of having a baby from that cycle. We also know as fertility doctors that fertility's number one criteria or risk factor for infertility is age. When you have a low egg count and you're trying to have a baby over 35 at an age where fertility declines for everyone, then that can be a double whammy because it can mean that IVF is less likely to help you or that you might need many more treatments than someone who could ask their ovary to procure more eggs in one go. Uh, so that's, I guess, again, a, a, an explanation that needs to be in context. Because if you're relatively young and you have an egg count on the lower end of the spectrum and you're going to try to have a baby in the next little while, then really I wouldn't counsel that any immediate intervention is required at all to help preserve your fertility for the future. Whereas if you are getting towards the age where fertility decline is inevitable and you don't have any imminent plans for having a family or making babies with a person, <laughs> with a partner or with a donor, then you might want to think about your future because the best prognosis you'll ever have for fertility preservation like egg freezing is at a younger age and you'll always get more eggs for someone younger in one round than you will for that same person later on. So it's much more cost effective and it's also just more effective in terms of the chance of having a baby from egg freezing to do it at a younger age. When it comes to infertility, is AMH important to your outcome? When it comes to infertility, it is. So I guess that's really critical that when you have normal fertility or presumed normal fertility, AMH is not a factor. 
when you have infertility, when there are barriers that we are trying to overcome using medicine and technology, then it is very advantageous to have a bigger ovary that can make more eggs for you. Um, certainly that's an advantage and, and therefore, conversely, it's a disadvantage to have a smaller ovary that can't make as many eggs in one treatment. Moving back to Medicare and how our health system works in Australia, if you have a round of IVF that's considered one month of treatment, it has a certain rebate from our health system and it will have a certain cost to the patient. Now that won't be dependent on how many eggs are involved in that cycle. So you can understand that for a woman who can make 10 or 15 eggs in a month, she will have a far better prognosis than a demographically otherwise identical scenario where she can make only five eggs in the month. So that's how it affects fertility in terms of statistical probability of success in IVF. Can you improve your AMH or is the number the number? Well, it's a hormone. So if you do it a few times, you'll be very unlikely to get the same reading twice. Uh, it's a measurement that will have a range and you'll be within that range for you. There are things that can suppress it. So if you're on the pill, for example, the AMH level cleared from the bloodstream is faster. So you will tend to have a lower AMH than if you were not on the pill. And the difference is about 20 to 30% lower. But there's nothing you can do to increase your AMH because it's made by the follicles that you have in your ovary and they were made for you when you were a baby. So you're never going to make more follicles than you have today. You'll never have more follicles tomorrow than you had today or next week or next year. It's only ever going to go in a very predictable downwards direction, <laughs> which sounds a little bit sad, but it's, it's, it's just our biology. I want to ask about direct-to-consumer AMH. I've been seeing a little bit about it lately and I know I know a bit more than the average person, but it seems a little bit dangerous to me in a way that getting a blood test result from anyone who's not your doctor could be a little bit dangerous. I don't think it's dangerous, but I think it's just not a complete picture. And I can see how if someone and this is happening all around the world already. So the cat's out of the bag on direct-to-consumer AMH. It's a test that could be very easy to misinterpret. It's a test that could be misinterpreted in various directions. So I, I foresee that with direct-to-consumer AMH, there are women who are thinking about their fertility, go online, order a test, go get the blood test, pay for the test, have the result. You could either be freaked out in someone who's completely fertile, or you might be falsely reassured in someone who's getting older. It's really imperative to understand that it does not tell you about your chance of having a baby naturally. It doesn't give us any information about that. And there's a whole lot of other investigations that actually do. Whether you're regularly ovulating, whether the sperm is normal, whether the fallopian tubes are open and functioning, whether you have endometriosis, what your family history is, whether you have diabetes, whether you have any other conditions that might affect pregnancy or implantation. So there's lots of things we look for in couples who are having trouble having a baby to solve the problem. I think women who are requesting direct-to-consumer AMH probably fall in various categories, some of which have problems but they don't want to see a doctor, they want to try and figure it out themselves. My advice is see a doctor. It's impossible to figure it out yourself. You may get it completely wrong and the thing is with fertility that time is 
the most precious thing and you don't want to waste your time. You want to use your time effectively and that's going to get you, when you where you're going. So that, that would be my advice. If you're, if you're trying to conceive and you know, frustrated that things are not happening, go have a chat to your GP. They'll get the ball rolling. If they are concerned with initial investigations that they have done, they'll send you to see a fertility specialist like myself. And it takes roughly 20 years of training to be a fertility specialist. So we're always going to be more on the ball than a Google search will be. So my advice, and I've done posts about this on my Instagram before as well, my advice is seek help, seek help early, seek help promptly, seek help from someone who knows what they're talking about. And that's the best way for us to get you closer to your goals. In terms of women who are just thinking about fertility and wanting to be proactive and just want to know a little bit more about it, my concern, I guess, with direct-to-consumer AMH is A, it's just part of a much bigger picture, but B, it's a brick wall. Like, what are you going to do next? You don't have options and options aren't explained to you in context of your circumstances. And there's no one to facilitate moving forward if you want to in any given direction. So my advice would be that if you're interested enough to go online and order a test, then you owe it to yourself to at least have a discussion with your GP and ask for a referral to a fertility specialist to have a fertility planning consultation. You don't necessarily need to action that any further, but at least you'll get a full picture with all the information rather than just one little blip on the fertility radar. We've done a previous episode on, on egg freezing decision-making with Dr Michelle Peach and PhD researcher Shireen Sandu. Um, we'll put a link to that decision aid, which Radio was a co-creator of in the show notes. And look, one, one other thing I want to say is I'm very passionate about egg freezing and I have been for a long time. I do a lot of research in this sphere because I do see it as a third wave of female reproductive empowerment. It's something that we can do to allow us to electively freeze eggs and allow us to electively preserve fertility options for the future, given that female fertility does decline with age. It's important to understand that this happens regardless of your AMH and the power of egg freezing, whether you have a big, small or medium-sized ovary, is at its strongest at a younger age. So the best thing you can do is think about fertility and think about your options early in life, not when you're under pressure. And so you can make decisions that are right for you. And the other thing is that AMH, it compares your ovary to others. But what is critical is really comparing you to you and looking at where you're at in life. And just remember, it's only one factor in terms of planning fertility for the future. I think it's good for everyone to keep in mind that we all deserve individualised assessment and counselling. And it's important to speak to someone who can help you put a plan in place for the present and the future with the best information possible. In summary, what are the three most important facts about AMH? So I would say, number one, AMH is measuring the quantity of your eggs, not the quality. Number two, there's a big spread of what's normal. So don't despair if you have a number that is within the normal range but below the average. And three, I would say AMH does not tell us about how likely you are to get pregnant in a given month and it's not a gauge of fertility. So it may be an egg counter test. It's not a fertility test. To support Knocked Up, 
leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr. Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. 